Um, I also want to tell you that tonight's message, I want to speak to you on the subject, Biblical Foundation for the Mission. Biblical Foundation for the Mission. And uh, my message tonight has 12 points. So I'm not going to say a lot about each point, and I have a pretty good introduction here, a couple uh, uh, three-part introductions, so I've got to get right to it. But in my church I pastored in Ohio many years ago, I preached a sermon once on a Sunday morning that had 22 points. And it was about a 45, maybe it stretched to 50, don't ask my wife, maybe it stretched to 50-minute message. Um, but I, I had 22 points. So I came back to church on Sunday evening and I said, I said, folks, I know the message this morning was, was, um, was intense. I had 22 points in the message. And since I had so many points this morning, tonight's message will be pointless. <laughs> so <laughs> tonight's message is not pointless, though. <clears throat> did, I, did I tell you Luke 24? You can turn your Bible, please, to Luke 24. And we'll look at that in just a moment. <clears throat> and I want to introduce uh, the message to you before I get to that scripture. So could we have a brief word of prayer first? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege once again to share your word tonight. Lord, our desire is to be very simple and practical tonight and kind of a missions lesson uh, as much as a sermon. And so I pray for your help and your wisdom as we speak. And I pray for our... Uh, that we would be receptive not only in heart, but receptive in mind, that the truth of your word would lodge in our minds and, and we would just see the logical nature of your mission and its outworking in this world and its, its uh, impact <clears throat> and, and upon our lives and how we're supposed to be involved with it. I pray for your help in Jesus' name, amen. First, I wanna repeat what I've already said this week so you can go to the next slide on that. God is on a mission. And God's mission is to reveal himself and to draw all men to himself. You could say it, his mission is to declare his glory to all nations and draw all nations to himself. As I said last night, his mission is to reveal his glory and extend his grace. Everything God does is related to the mission. God has never created anyone God has never called anyone or used anyone or directed anyone's life that didn't have something to do with the mission of revealing his glory and drawing people to himself. And as I said yesterday, that started in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And so this is the mission of God, his glory and his desire for people. If you'll look now with me, please, at Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, and then we'll look at another uh, part of the scripture but I want to point out what I call, and I, this is not my term, it's called the Christological focus of the scripture. In Luke 24, we have the story of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, and I, I love this chapter. I've preached from it many times, even as a pastor uh, from this passage. But uh, the Emmaus Road disciples, they're walking down the road and they're joined by Jesus, and they begin to express to him their disappointment and disillusionment about what has taken place because they believe that Jesus was the one that was going to redeem and save Israel, and now he's been crucified and buried. And they're very disappointed with the turn of events. And so he began speaking to them after they told him all of that, as if he didn't know. He began speaking to them in verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Now, I want you to notice as I look at these verses with you how many references Jesus makes to the Scripture. He didn't say, you fools and slow of heart to believe everything that the disciples taught you or that you have heard me teach or heard Jesus teach. He said, you're not believing what the prophets wrote. Verse 26, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? If you really believe what was written in the prophets, you would know that everything that's happening right now has what's supposed to happen. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Note those two words, please, concerning himself. This is the Christological focus of the scripture. Um, I think that might have been the greatest sermon ever preached right there. Wouldn't you have loved to heard Jesus preach himself out of the scriptures, out of the Old Testament? Notice all the way down now, please, to verse 44. He is now has appeared into the uh, disciples in a room somewhere in Jerusalem, <clears throat> and they are doubting whether it's him or not. Uh, and I won't get into all that. You know the story, and you can read it more later. But in verse 44, he's now talking to the disciples. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Now, again, he's making a reference to the scripture because Jesus only spoke what the Father gave him to speak, correct? So Jesus is the word of God. So everything Jesus said is scripture, right? So he says, I told you all about this before. And then he says uh, that, that all things must be fulfilled where? Which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and then he adds one more segment of scripture here when he says, and in the Psalms, and, and once again, note the phrase, concerning me, concerning me. Now, this shows us that the, the focus and the story of the Bible is Jesus Christ from beginning to end. You've heard preachers say this before, you find Jesus on every page. You do. You find him in every book of the Bible. You find him on, on, on literally every page of the Bible. You see him in the symbols and the types and the foreshadowings of the Old Testament. And we Christians have been accused of you just put Jesus in everything. You just see Jesus in everything because that's you want to see him there. You dream it up. But in these two passages we just looked at, Jesus puts himself in every portion of the scripture. So Notice what else happens in verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You know, I believe it's very possible for you to be a Christian your entire life and never grasp the mission of God. Never grasp the, the purpose and the story of the scripture. That it is entirely about God and his desire for people that it is entirely hinges on Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, which makes the mission of God possible. And then the Holy Spirit of God, of course, which makes it a reality. And so we are right to rejoice in what Christ has done for us. We are right to rejoice in our salvation, but we are wrong if we stop with our own exaltation and we don't carry this out to its purpose. And so when he opened their understanding that they would understand the scriptures, let's go on and read verse 46. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And notice these two words. And I love these links in the scripture. Remember yesterday in, in Acts 2, this is that. These are very important words right here. 
and that. Yes, it is all about me, but there's more to the story. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you're witnesses of these things. So what the disciples need to understand is that, that the, the story is about Jesus, and that story has to be preached among all nations. Hudson Taylor was home from China in Brighton Beach, England, on a short furlough to try to recruit more laborers for the field of China and the China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor walked out of the church service on a Sunday morning and began walking up and down Brighton Beach on the south shore of the country of England. And he later said in his book, uh, it later records in his book, uh, the book written about him, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, he said, I could no longer stand to be in a service where 1,000 believers were rejoicing in their salvation while half the heathen world has never heard his name. So yes, it is wonderful. Everything we just looked at, the whole book's about Jesus. The whole story's about Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection, and we are saved. Can you say amen right there? Don't stop with saying amen. Let's recognize that the purpose of all this is so we will take that message and that repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name everywhere in this world. So thirdly, based on all that, let me say this, the church is to be on mission. And if the church is not on mission, the church is failing as a church. I said yesterday, the Great Commission cannot, uh, cannot be accomplished with voluntary part-time participation. The Great Commission has to be what we're all about. It has to be the dominating theme of our church. For some churches, local ministry is the only emphasis. It's all about what we're doing right here. And I, and I recognize that since we live here and we minister here and the people we're reaching are right here, it is going to dominate a huge chunk of our time. We can never get so consumed with local ministry that we fail to give the mission of God its, its, its worthy recognition. In many churches, missions gets a gratuitous mention once a year during missions conference time, even if, if there even is a conference, and that's all it gets. So the mission of God is to dominate what we're doing. If what we're involved in as a church does not contribute in some form, shape, or fashion to the spread of the gospel around the world, we need to reevaluate whether that program is necessary. Are you with me so far? If what we're involved in as a church doesn't contribute in some form, shape, or fashion to the spread of the gospel to the nations of the world, we need to reevaluate whether that program is necessary here. So now, may I quickly give you 12 reasons we have to be on mission. I'm going to use a lot of scripture references, and I'm putting them on the screen for you, so you don't have to keep turning in your Bible. You can just write down the reference, and you can look them up again, uh, again later if you choose, but perhaps you can get the main points if you're taking notes. Number one, ready? We ought to be on mission because of the promise of God, because of God's promise to bless all peoples. The Old Testament foundation of missions is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, where God told Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show thee. And he says in verse 3 of Genesis 12, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee. And this, this statement right here at the end of verse 3 is a powerful foundation for mission. In thee shall, say the next word with me, all families of the earth be blessed. Now, God has never made a promise he didn't keep. He's never made one he couldn't keep. And because God has promised to bless 
All nations of the earth, you look up the word families and you'll find it has a similar meaning to the word nations in the New Testament. It's clans, it is, it is, uh, it is um, uh, families is the word used there in the verse, but it's clans, it's tribes, uh, similar to the meaning of ethnicity. And God has made a promise that through the calling out of Abraham, some people from every single tribe and nation will be reached. Now, if God made that promise, what better motivation and encouragement can I have than the understanding that God's promise ensures the success of the mission? If you're serving in the military and your commanding general calls you in and says you're going on a mission to Kosovo or to Afghanistan, uh, you're going to approach that mission with some trepidation because the success of this mission depends on a lot of things. In the Christian mission, it depends on one thing only, and that is the promise of God. So we go forward in the mission because it's a guaranteed thing. So don't you want to be part of something that is promised success by the God of the universe? There's no, we, we can't lose. We can't do this in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, for as much as you know, you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We can't lose in this thing. Let's get involved in something that is going to happen. God's promise, I'm getting ahead of myself, but God's promise in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, for the hill you referred to in a moment, we'll look at in just a second. But God's promise is going to come to pass. We are going to stand there someday with people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Because why? God promised it. He promised it. It's guaranteed success. Number two, because of the purchase of Jesus. And now we get to Revelation 5.9 or 7.9. Both verses are similar here. <clears throat> Where they said here in Revelation 5.9 that you have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. You've redeemed us. That word means to buy back. Or that word means, could I use this word, to purchase. Do you know that Jesus has purchased some? from everywhere, from everywhere. I, I believe, and you can say amen right here, I believe that any man on earth can be saved, right? I also believe this, don't say amen right here because it's, uh, it's a sad fact, not everybody will be saved, right? But here's what I also believe, some from every tribe will be saved. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced that we can send a missionary anywhere in this world and he will find people who want Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus purchased them. I don't know where they are, I don't know who they are, I don't know their names, but there's, there's divine power orchestrating this whole thing and all I have to do is be a participant. And I love this view of missions because it takes the responsibility off me. I don't have to go win people to Jesus. I just have to be an instrument of the Lord directed to the purchased possession promised by God. Isn't that good stuff? Man, it just, it, it fires me up to just to think about all that and, and, uh, and seeing missionaries go out. So I want to be involved in gathering in those God has promised to bring in and Jesus' blood has purchased. That means there's a purchased possession in the Amazon where Brother Hilliard's going. There is a purchased possession in North Korea where God's given this man a burden. There is a purchased possession in El Salvador where the charters are going, and there is a purchased possession where the blooms are going in Ecuador. And anytime God puts a burden in a missionary's heart, it's because God's already working over there, and he just needs a laborer in that spot. 
Isn't that good? We don't have to make it happen, folks. We just have to participate. God is fully at work. Number three, because of the harvest. We ought to be on mission with God because of the harvest. Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous. There are currently 7.4 billion people on earth. And I can tell you without blinking an eye that at least 4 billion of those do not know Jesus Christ. And I can tell you the great majority of those, 4 billion, have never even heard his name. Uh, in mission statistics, back when the world population was about 6, million, or 6 billion, they divided the world into three groups, and they said one-third of the world is Christian and one-third of the world is evangelized but, but not converted, and the other third of the world is unreached. That would be 2 billion, 2 billion, and 2 billion. Well, now we're at 7.4 billion, and we're approaching 3.5 to 4 billion people, maybe 5 billion people or more who do not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. So when Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous, he means there's a whole lot of people who still are not mine. And he wants them all, doesn't he? The harvest truly is plenteous. Do you know that in the unreached world alone, every three minutes, 85 people die who never heard Jesus' name. 85 people every three minutes. And in the same three minutes, 210 babies are born into unreached places in this world where they will never hear the name of Jesus unless that changes because of our going. 210 every minute are born without a chance to hear the gospel. The harvest truly is plenteous. Based on what I, some of these things I, I referred to Sunday morning in the message from Acts chapter 10, whether or not we see a harvest there or believe there's a harvest there, we need to know there is a harvest in every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. Number four, because the laborers are few. <clears throat> Matthew 9, 37, Jesus also said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Do you know, according to Jesus Christ, the number one problem in finishing the Great Commission is the lack of laborers. So how do we get laborers? Well, we have to raise awareness of the great need because people respond to need. Maybe, maybe not. Well, we have to develop our strategies better, more refined and more intense, better organized. No, that, that won't get the job done. You know what the answer to the need for laborers is? Say it out loud. Prayer. Several years ago now, my family started this every time we pray, whether we're praying at a, at a dinner table or in the morning or the evening, it doesn't matter. Every time I talk to God, I'm going to add this phrase to my prayer. Would you please send more laborers to the unreached fields of the world? Now, I'd love to preach a whole sermon right here because I wondered one day, why do you think Jesus made this the primary way to get the job done? The primary response to the great need is for us to pray for laborers. Why did Jesus say it that way? And I came to this conclusion. Jesus finds his laborers from the group who prays. I have never met a missionary that gave a testimony that did not include some form of, I had a great burden and I began to pray and then God called me. Every missionary relates the story in some way like that. No missionary, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, you know, I think I'm going on deputation to Afghanistan. Well, how come? I don't know. 
I don't have a reason. I just think it's something I ought to do. No, it's a burden God builds in a person's heart because praying for laborers for the unreached world gets us on the same page with God. That's his heart. And when I get on my knees to pray, I have to be honest. You can't lie to God. He already knows it, right? He knows if you're lying. So when I pray, I get honest. I've been on my knees praying before, and I said something to God, and I was rebuked, and I immediately followed up by saying, the Lord, you know that's not true, don't you? <laughs> but you have to get honest. And I believe when we get honest with God, He can reach into our hearts and pull out the fleshly carnal desires that we have and replace them with His heart and His desires. And if you pray for unreached laborers, God might call you to an unreached field. I'm not trying to scare you off from praying, <laughs> But that's where God gets the labors. And so that's why he pointed us to this response. Quickly, let's go through these uh, slides right here. I want to show you some maps. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to point out the statistics on this one, and then we'll just scroll through the other ones quickly. There's, in these six uh, South Asian countries, there's 3,455 unreached people groups. 3,047 of them are unreached. They speak 653 languages, and the total population in this part of the world is 1.26 billion. And so right there on that map in six countries, there's 3,047 places where a laborer is needed. More, than, more laborers than 3,047, but 3,047 locations, 3,047 people groups. Can you go to the next one, please? 662 unreached people groups in these Southeast Asian countries. The next one shows... Central Asia, 854 unreached people groups in those 11 countries. The next one shows Northern and Africa and the Middle East, 359 unreached people groups. The next one shows Central and West Africa, 482 unreached people groups. And the next one shows Eastern and Southern Africa, 351 unreached people groups. I remember a pastor, a young man saying to me one time, God's called me to ministry and I'm just waiting for a position to open up. He means a position with a salary and a car allowance and an office, but there's 7,085 positions open. We ought to be praying for laborers, amen? Could I challenge you to do what, what, what my wife and I started years ago? Every time you pray, ask God to send laborers. Now you think, well, if I do, that'll just get to be routine. It won't mean anything. Well, first of all, make it mean something. Don't do it just out of habit. But I would challenge you to examine your praying now and see how many phrases you use that are out of habit. You don't even think about them when you say them anymore. Uh, and I don't have time to go into that further, but, but just ask God. He commanded us to do it, so ask Him. Number six, <clears throat> because of the destiny of the lost. We ought to be on mission number five, rather, because of the destiny of the lost. And I won't belabor this point because I talked about it Sunday morning that Jesus is the only way. John 3.18, they have to believe in the name of the Son of God. John 3.36, they have to believe on the Son of God or they don't have everlasting life. Uh, John 14.6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes without Him except coming through Him. And Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation than any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby men, by we must be saved. So this is hard for some people to swallow, but the Bible gives no means by which a person can be saved without Jesus Christ. No means. Nobody gets a pass. Romans 2 verse 4, they're without excuse. 
because of the conscience, conscious awareness God has given them of his existence and the creation that declares his glory. And so if all that's true, missions is urgent. It's urgent. Number six, because God chose men to tell. Because God chose men to tell. Romans 10, 14 and 15, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? I use these illustrations Sunday morning, so I won't go through them all again. Philip and the eunuch, Cornelius and Peter, Paul and Lydia. Every time somebody gets saved in the Bible, there is a human messenger involved. And I believe today, every time somebody gets saved, there's a human messenger involved somewhere back down the line. I believe a person can get saved reading the gospel on a, on a gospel tract, but somebody printed the tract. A person gets saved reading the New Testament, but somebody printed the New Testament and distributed it. So somewhere down the line, there's a human messenger, and God chose us to be the ones to carry the gospel, and he wants us involved in his mission. So I want to accept the assignment, don't you? Number seven. Because the church has been given the responsibility. You are part of a body, <clears throat> part of a local New Testament church. I referred to these verses Sunday morning as well. God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the assignment. And the word of reconciliation, that's the message. Which means I, as a member of Open Bible Baptist Church, have been ordained by God to declare the gospel to the nations. And listen carefully to this statement. No member of this church is excused from that responsibility. No member. Well, you don't understand. I, I have health issues and I, I, I can't do this and I can't do that. And, and I, I'm very limited in what I could do. Then get on your knees and pray and pray your way into the mission of God. You can do something. You can give. You can encourage a missionary. There's a hundred ways that you can be involved in the mission without going to the mission field. So if God promised them in Genesis 12 and Jesus purchased them in Revelation 5, 9 and he commissioned us to gather them in for his glory, then I want to be part of a church that's committed to the mission. I don't want to be part of a church that's a social club. I want a pastor that will lead us in our responsibility and your pastor's doing that from the first few minutes we talked in the conference room upstairs on Saturday afternoon, I recognized his heart for missions. And I appreciate a pastor who wants to follow the commission of Christ and not just cater to the needs of people. You ought to say amen right there, very loud. Number eight, because of the example of the early church. I love this point. I wish I could stay here 30 minutes. In Acts 13, verses one through three, they sent out, you could consider this, they sent out the first being, they sent out the first missionaries. The church sent Paul and, and um, uh, Barnabas. Okay, but I want you to notice the motivation behind the sending. At the end of the verse, verse 3 says, they prayed, they, lay, they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Uh, at the end of verse 2, it says, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work. So the Holy Spirit called, the church authenticated the call. I believe all that's very important. But I want you to notice the motivation behind all of it at the beginning of verse 2 right there in, in the blue ink as they ministered to the Lord. You know what this church's primary focus was? It was the glory of God. They were ministering to God. I, I learned a long time ago, I'm still learning it, but I learned a long time ago that when I preach a sermon, 
The sermon is to God. People don't have to be pleased with it. People don't have to like it. If it's faithful to His Word and He's pleased, that's all that mattered. The sermon is to God. And every act of service you commit or you participate in in this local church is an act of service to God and His glory. It's not for people. We serve God by serving people, but we please God by glorifying God. And, and so every part of our service and our ministry is for God. I remember, I'll never forget, a very vivid memory of the day that I was closing a Sunday night service at Westside Baptist Church where I pastored for 16 years. And the second row on the front right here, Dan Stoner, one of my deacons, I called on him to close the service in prayer. And he began his prayer, and it was a, a normal closing prayer on a Sunday night service. And, and he stopped praying. Right in the middle of the prayer, he just stopped talking. And, and I kind of sneaked a peek and looked up at him, and his lip was quivering, and a tear was rolling down his cheek. And the next words out of his mouth were, And Lord, would you please send a missionary out of Westside Baptist Church? And I was so rebuked in my heart because we had, as far as I knew, that had never publicly been prayed in our church. I'm ashamed to say that. But it rebuked my heart. And what he, he didn't know when he prayed that prayer was the work God was doing in my heart about unreached people groups and language groups without Bibles. And about a year and a half later, God called me to be a missionary. I, I'm, I wonder now, looking back, if he was trying to get rid of the pastor. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> But don't you want to be part of a church that's committed to the purpose of God and sending out people into the mission? Number nine, because of the purpose of God. Again, we refer to Revelation 7, 9, where it speaks of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. And this is the purpose of God. And I, I, I like to say it like this. The mission of God is to reveal himself and draw men to himself. And your mission in life is to join his mission. You can't join any mission that's more important. If you're, not, if you're not in the mission of God, you're not in step with God. You're not walking with Him. Can two walk together except they be agreed? If you're not on mission with God, you're not, you're not on the same page with Him. You may deceive yourself into thinking you're a great Christian because you show up at church on Sundays and you're here Monday night too. I thank you for being here. But many people think they're great Christians because they show up once a week to church. They're not on the same page with God. Uh, Walking with God in His mission is not, is not attending a worship service and going home and doing your own thing the rest of the week. You, your life is not your own. My life is not my own. We're bought with a price. And so this is God's purpose. I, I like this too. He wants to reveal Himself to me, and He wants to reveal His Son through me, and He wants to use me to gather the nations. Number 10. Because history awaits the fulfillment of the promise. <clears throat> Matthew 24, 14 is a very important verse, and some people have built a very strong belief on it. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Have you ever wondered about that verse? Have you ever heard anybody say, well, we have to get the gospel to the whole world before Jesus can come back? First of all, I would say you can't put God in that box. But let me give you three possibilities. Number one, we don't know for certain if an unreached people group today was evangelized at some point in the past. For example, Paul ministered in Asia Minor. 
we was all over Asia Minor planting all kinds of churches. That's now Turkey and it's 99.8% Muslim and it is entirely unreached. But 2,000 years ago, that was a reached people. The second possibility is that with the migration of people around the world and all across the globe, it's possible that representatives from unreached people groups have come to Christ in other countries. I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, and that Sunday morning they baptized a woman and her sister who got saved listening to a radio broadcast in Iran, and they came to Vancouver, British Columbia to get baptized. That's where their son lived and was a Christian. So people are going all over the world, and some from tribes and kindreds and tongues are getting saved in other locations outside the unreached people groups. And then number three, we have to consider the end times when God will send out 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation to proclaim the gospel around the world and perhaps they will be the ones to finish the task. So I do not believe that we have to reach every unreached people group today before Jesus can come back. But here's what I do know with absolute certainty. He hasn't returned yet and our job isn't finished. But somehow in this verse, the, the story of history hangs on the thread of the spread of the gospel. Isn't that a powerful thought? So I want to be on mission because this is the history of the world. This is what God's historical intention is for this world. Number 11, and I have to hurry, because the earth is not yet filled with the glory of God. Twelve times in the Bible we see the phrase, uh, as the waters cover the sea, and it's talking about in Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And I can tell you with certainty that today the earth is not all over the globe as the waters cover the sea. That's a simile or a metaphor, rather, a metaphor that, that means uh, altitude is the same everywhere, right? Sea level is the same on the shore of the Indian Ocean or the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. And so as the waters cover the sea is a metaphor for all at the same way or the same level. And I think someday the earth is going to be filled with the glory of God all over the earth, all at the same level. Everybody's going to know he's God. But that's not true yet. And so I want to be on mission because I want to spread his glory. And I personally believe this is the most powerful motivation for missions. Sunday morning we talked about their lostness and that ought to burden us. But sometimes that doesn't work for us. So his desire and His glory is our main motivation. So I want God to be glorified, don't you? One missions writer said, missions exist because worship doesn't. And where passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be absent. Number 12. Let me take just about two more minutes, please, to cover this one. I believe this is the most important reason because of the command of Jesus. I'm going to walk through the five, the, the five examples or the five instances rather of the Great Commission in just a moment. But our daughter's 13 and when she was three, four, five, and six, she did probably what every uh, child, everyone else's child did at that age range. You tell them what to do and they say, why? And as a parent, the first response to that is what? Because I said so. And I believe you and I ought to be on mission with God because he said to. That's all I need. I don't need to know anything about history awaiting the fulfillment of the promise. I don't need to know about the promise of God and the purchase of Jesus. 
I don't need to be convicted of all those things. I just need to be obedient to my Lord. And he said to. In the Bible, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Five times the Great Commission was given. But that's not the chronological order in which they were given. The chronological order is, first of all, John 20, 21. And that is the sender. Because there Jesus said, As the Father hath sent me, even so what? Send I you. Do you know before the disciples understood the complexity of the Great Commission and the magnitude of the Great Commission and, and the, the necessity and the urgency of the Great Commission, they needed to know without a shadow of a doubt they were being sent by Jesus. And could I say this? If you understand you're sent by Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes next. Whatever he tells you to do, okay, because he's telling me to do it. That settles it all, doesn't it? So Jesus is the sender, and we could talk for a long time tonight about our example of Jesus as the sender. He came and humbled himself and gave his life, and he submitted himself to death. He laid down his life for the glory of his Father and the reconciliation of people to God. And I'm to follow the same example by laying down my life for the gospel's sake and the glory of God. Next, we find the Great Commission in Mark 16, verses 15 I think that's the next one. There you go. Mark 16, 15. And that is the scope of the commission. Because there Jesus said, Go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every creature. This is a big job. Now, if, if you're being told to do this job by a, a friend, that's one thing. But if you're being sent to do this job by Jesus, okay, well, I have to go do it because he told me to. But this is a big job, isn't it? The next time we find the Great Commission in chronological order is Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and that's the strategy. You know what the strategy of the Great Commission is? Disciple-making. It's not just about preaching the gospel. It's about making disciples. It's about the establishing of local New Testament churches, winning people to Christ and baptizing them, Matthew 28, 19, and then teaching them to observe all things. That's bringing them into a body of saved, baptized believers and discipling them in the faith so the multiplying effect of the Great Commission can continue in that location. The next time we find the Great Commission in chronological order is Luke 24, 47. We looked at that tonight. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached. That's the subject. What are we, what are we talking about when we get out there? We go to the unreached people groups. What do we say? We preach Christ. You can do all the medical missions you want, and I love it. I'm, I, I support medical missions. Uh, you can provide clean water for people, and that's a wonderful thing to do. I think God loves all of that stuff. But you can do all of that. If you don't preach Christ, you haven't been a missionary. We have to preach Christ because the gospel is the saving message. The last time we find it in chronological order is just before Jesus went back to heaven in Acts 1.8, and that is the Spirit. None of the first four things can be carried out without the Spirit of God and His power behind it. We talked about that last night at Pentecost. So the question is, do we want to be on mission? I've given you 12 reasons, and there's probably 100 more. The promise, the purchase, the harvest, the laborers, the destiny of the lost, because God chose us, because of the example of the early church, our accountability to God, the church's responsibility, history is awaiting its fulfillment, the earth is not filled with His glory, and Jesus commanded it. Is that enough reasons? I think it's plenty.